Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. Today, we have a draft recap for you, talking about the 2020 Chicago White Sox five-round draft selection. Sean Williams and James Fox alongside us. Gentlemen, good to speak with you. Sean, always a pleasure, my friend. How's it going in Arizona? Are you doing okay? Yeah, doing good. Uh, it's It's been pretty hot here consistently now, so we're getting into that, that summertime heat, but all is well over here. Always excited to join and, and talk White Sox with you guys. Derek Crochet goes in the first round, number 11 overall. We'll get to him, but let's start this conversation, James, with Jared Kelly, the second rounder, 47th overall. The White Sox are looking to pay him a little bit of money to ensure that he signs with the organization. It sounds like they're going to do that, and it sounds like Jared Kelly is going to be a Chicago White Sox farmhand here soon. Can you confirm that detail? Uh, I can confirm that detail. It's crazy. I feel like we've been talking about Jared Kelly on the podcast like since the world shut down, and uh, now he's, you know, we're probably going to be talking about him quite a bit more. So, yeah, he, he is going to sign. Um, for those listening that don't, you know, that aren't really familiar with the process, anybody that was drafted the last two days is probably going to sign Major league organizations generally know, you know, that if they draft a player that they're going to sign because they don't want to lose um, the the bonus pool space for the rest of their draft. So Jared Kelly, I don't have like a, you know, a confirmation on how much he's getting paid. I do know that the asking price was around $3 million, And with what the White Sox did with the rest of their class, that that's probably pretty close to what he's going to end up with. Garrett Crochet goes number 11 overall in the first round. Like I said, Jared Kelly, 47th overall in the second round. And they filled out the rest of their class, interestingly, when it comes to Addison Coffey in the third round at 83rd overall. Kind of a two-way guy. He played a little shortstop out of a junior college, Wabash Valley in Illinois. Uh, he, But primarily, I believe, they, they drafted him as a pitcher. We'll get into him a little bit. Cade Meckles right-handed pitcher out of Grand Canyon University. That came in the fourth round. He's coming off of Tommy John surgery. That just recently occurred for the righty. And Bailey Horn, left-handed pitcher out of Auburn, concluded the White Sox selections in the draft at pick 142. 6-2, We'll get into all of these guys. Uh, we'll also preview a little bit of the undrafted free agent strategy upcoming that we assume will take place in Mike Shirley's inaugural amateur draft. How did you guys think that Shirley and his scouting department and, and, and the draft went for the White Sox. Sean, I'll start with you because I guess you can go, well, obviously the priority here, the focus is within the first two rounds in Kelly and Crochet. White Sox go all pitching in this draft, but we weren't really sure what they were going to do at 11. They end up going Crochet, the hard-throwing lefty, comps to sale. That's exciting. And then they ultimately get Jared Kelly, who fell all the way to 47. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I was uh, really happy with the end results of the White Sox draft. Uh, they were able to get two top 20 overall prospects, which is um, a big win, especially when you think about it. And it was, what, a five-round draft. So they got two really, really talented arms. Um, Jerry Kelly was one of the, if not the best prep arm in the draft, and they were able to get him um, at 47th overall. So the value there is really, really, really high. So obviously like that pick a lot. And then, you know, when you get someone like Jerry Kelly there at slot 47 and, and he's going to be an overslot, you kind of got to strategically finish your draft out. So White Sox obviously knew that going into it. And um, like I said, they were able to 
invest heavily into into the first two picks and, and got two really, really talented arms. So I'm excited about it and uh, thought it was a pretty successful draft there for Mike Shirley. What's really exciting too, you incorporate a right-handed high school player in Jared Kelly right in the second round, who is often considered among experts to be, like you said, a top 20 player in this class. And a lot of the reason, James, that Jared Kelly fell to 47 didn't really have much to do with ability. It was more so signability. Is that the case? Yeah, it's absolutely the case. I think people look at it, you know, and it, the baseball draft is a lot different than the football draft or the, or the NBA draft. Like he didn't really fall to 47. It's all about bonus money. So, you know, Jared Kelly's camp of advisors, um, you know, kind of, they had an idea of the number they wanted, you know, they kind of knew that the Sox would meet that number. So then what typically happens is like, if another team were going to draft Jared Kelly later in the first round, say, you know, they would basically have to meet that number that they already have. Otherwise, Jared Kelly like isn't going to agree to sign with that team. So then that that's theoretically how you push a player like down the draft board. Now, the White Sox could have an agreement with Jared Kelly for $3 million and somebody else could still take him at 28 and then they'd lose out on the player. It just, you know, it doesn't typically happen that way because like I said, guys, guys generally have a deal. Um, otherwise, they don't take the chance on on drafting a player. So... Um, you know, he, he's pretty much wherever you look, I think other than Keith law, I think he's like a top 20, top 25 player in the class. If it is a $3 million bonus, it's like right in like pick 20 to 22 range money wise. So that's like a good way of looking at the talent level in draft classes is by bonus amount that was paid out rather than, you know, the num the pick number where these guys went. Let's talk Jared Kelly a little bit and, I wanted to start with him because, you know, he was the focus for a lot of us, like you said, James, at the beginning of the podcast for a while here at Future Sox. We were under the impression the White Sox were interested, and that, that was clearly the case considering what the lengths are that they're going through in order to get him within the organization. He got to 47, and it's interesting the process, James, as you explained it, but when you look at his profile, right, let's break it down a little bit because... He so clearly was the best, I would argue that he was the best high school arm in this class. I mean, you could look at a lot of the guys drafted, but man, Jared Kelly, with the way that he stands at 6'3", 215, a mid-90s fastball that he throws with ease, you know, his his secondary pitches may need a little bit more developing, but I mean, he's as advanced a prospect out of high school as there is, or at least that I've seen in a long time. And for the Sox to get him in the second round, of course, they're not paying him second round slot money, but still just the way that things fall under these circumstances, it, it's so fascinating to follow. The Gatorade Player of the Year in Texas, Jared Kelly goes to the White Sox. What can you tell me, James, about what they have in this kid? Well, I think it's like Mike Shirley said last night. I mean, you know, he called him a top of the rotation type arm. I mean, that's one of the reasons why. You know, we've talked about Jared Kelly as much as we have. He was awesome on the summer showcase circuit. He looked like, you know, the best pitcher in the class, the best high school pitcher in the class. Um, you know, everybody knew about Mick Abel, um, and there's more projection with Mick Abel, but present stuff with Jared Kelly. But that's also, you know, one of the knocks on Jared Kelly is that he has a now body, he has now stuff, which means there's not really as much projection per se left, but he's also very clean 
um, mechanically. You know, Mike Shirley mentioned last night he's consistently developed um, his breaking ball. That That's one of the things that's been another knock on him is that most high school pitchers, you know, you look for a fastball breaking ball combination. His his best secondary is his changeup, and he's going to need to develop a slider or a curveball. But man, he 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 just pounds the strike zone, and it and it almost looks effortless, like high nineties. So the way that he's able to command the fastball, um, I think I think is what makes him so intriguing because he's not getting into pro ball, you know, and then has all this projection left like that part I agree with but he but he is you know he's a strike thrower already which does I think allow him to move maybe a little bit quicker than most high school pitchers Sean when you see Jared Kelly and you're watching video of this kid what stands out to you specifically because for me it's his size it looks like he's already a professional pitcher and he's only 18 years old Yeah, you kind of nailed it right there. Um, Just watching him throw and watching him stand on the mound, you obviously notice his 6'3", 215 frame, and and he's a a pretty big boy for his age. Um, But another thing that I've noticed, too, which we touched on a little bit with Jerry Kelly on watching him is just the the effortless velocity with him. He'll stand on the mound and and throw a pitch that'll be upper 90s, almost triple digits, and, and it looks like he's really not even trying, so... Just the size and, and the effortless velocity are two of the really big things that stand out to me when I'm watching him. I was just reading up on Jared Kelly being named the National Gatorade Player of the Year, not only in Texas, but across the country. I'm sold on this kid. I, I can't get enough of what he's able to offer. Now, concerns. I want to talk concerns here because we've talked nothing but positives related to the right-handed pitcher, and there's very few, I think, concerns, but there has to be some James. Yeah, there are. And look, we haven't, we didn't see him personally. Right. So when the White Sox scouts say, Oh yeah, his breaking ball's gotten better. I don't know how true that is because in high school, I I can't remember exactly, but it was like, Sean, you might've seen just like ridiculous numbers this spring, you know, where he had like, he had like 38 K's in 12 innings or something, you know, something crazy, whatever. Um, but I just don't know how much he's had to throw a slider or a curveball because he's been so dominant in Texas. Um, and he, he is like pitching for like a lower class, like school in Texas too. So like he's throwing high nineties heat with a changeup. That's probably all he needed. So I would say like the biggest issue would be if he doesn't develop that third pitch, like maybe he's ultimately, you know, like a reliever with a fastball change combo. But I, th- I mean, he looks, he has the look, of a frontline starter. Keith law is one who had him ranked a little bit lower than others questioned his conditioning a little bit. I mean, I could see um, some of that. He does look, you know, he, he, you talked about his size. He looks a little heavier than he like was, but I mean, you know, he, he's going to be 19 in October and he's getting into like a professional program right now. So I, I don't know. I don't really like worry about that stuff. I mean, if you already have, plus plus fastball plus change i think the um the third secondary offering the slider curveball i think that's easier to develop than a changeup is so i i think it's more way more positive than negative but the the reason why he you know was available for them is because of you know now body now stuff 
kind of a lack of a third pitch, but not really. And some teams just, you know, they want that advanced slider or curveball before they're going to spend $3 million on a high school pitcher. Yeah, Kelly did not give up an earned run, James, just to echo what you were saying about his numbers this spring prior to the pandemic, shutting everything down. 3-0, 34 strikeouts in 12 innings for Jared Kelly. And here's what Baseball America's Carlos Colazzo, friend of the show, said about Kelly. He said, Jared Kelly owns what is easily the most big league-ready prep arm in the class of 2020. He's the best fastball in the high school class, a pitch that routinely brushes up in the upper 90s, a consistently plus changeup and a solid breaking ball. So that's something to celebrate, I think, when you're looking at a pitcher out of high school, someone who's advanced with his stuff, like you said, in Jared Kelly. I think the White Sox have a young arm that they can pair with the Andrew Dahlquist and the Matthew Thompsons, but Kelly, it seems, Sean, is ticketed to advance across the system a little bit more quickly than those previously named high school arms. Yeah, it, it sounds like that is uh, is what a lot of people think is going to happen with him. I know with Matthew Thompson, who is another prep arm they took, um, coming into the system, they said that he definitely needed a little bit of time and needed some stuff to work on. And I believe that Andrew Dahlquist was similar to that too, um, even though he had has a little bit of a bigger arsenal and a little better stuff. Um, it just seems like Jerry Kelly's a little more advanced than these guys and obviously with the size that he has too he he seems like he's the type of person that could kind of move forward a little quicker than we anticipate so we'll see all right let's talk a little Garrett Crochet because you know we're spending enough time in the high school rank here and we're excited about Jared Kelly and what he offers to the table you know but what's interesting to me and of course you have to tread with caution related to high school arms the way that they progress especially with somebody who throws as hard as Jared Kelly, you got to be careful monitoring his workload. So I'm sure the White Sox have a plan for him and it'll be interesting to see how the, you know, the season works out in 2020 and how they're able to get him going following a year in which he really didn't pitch at all in his senior season out of high school. All right. So let's move on to Garrett Crochet, left-handed pitcher out of the university of Tennessee, six, six blazing fastball. We heard the comps to Chris sale, when when they took him at eleven, what were your initial reactions? And now, given you know a couple of days to digest, what are your thoughts, Sean? So I kind of prepared myself for the Garrett Crochet pick heading into the draft, so I wasn't like super surprised by it. Um, just when I, I saw him getting mocked to the White Sox a lot, I was just like, okay, I'm I'm just gonna prepare myself. I'm not saying that that's like a like a bad thing that I had to prepare myself for it, but um, I really didn't know a whole lot about him didn't read up on him too much but then I really like kind of like dove into him when I saw that this was going to be a possibility and the more I watched him and the more I read about him the more I, I like Garrett Crochet um, he's got him too he's got a really big frame he's a six six guy um, fastball can get you know into uh, triple digits and um, for people that you know like kind of more advanced pitching stuff he has above average spin rates uh, for his fastball and for his slider, I believe. So I really like everything he has to offer. Arsenal's good. Um, the only thing that kind of turned me off a little bit was the track record with him. He doesn't have a ton of experience as a starting pitcher. You would like to see him have some more starts under his belt. Obviously, with the 2020 season being canceled, that only hurts his case. Um, but 
kind of playing devil's advocate here. Like him not having a, a massive track record also means his arm's not really worn out. So I guess that's a positive way to look at it too. But um, yeah, just, I think there's a possibility too, if, if the 2020 season was continuing on and, and going on as we, as it normally would, there is a chance that maybe Garrett Crochet wouldn't have even been available for the White Sox at 11. So um, kind of was a little bit of an unknown for me at first, but like I said, the more I read about him, the more I watched him, uh, the more I liked the pick. Yeah, we mentioned a lot of those unintended consequences, I guess, related to the the 2025 round draft and guys get moved around with an incorporated senior season. I mean, maybe even Ed Howard climbs the board and the White Sox decide to go that route. I'm really happy, by the way, that he's staying in Chicago. Uh, That is going to be a fun story to follow uh, over on the north side. But James, let's talk some more about Garrett Crochet. Sean brought up some good points and he talked about the mileage on his arm, only 132 innings across his college career, spent two seasons, right, his freshman and sophomore year at Tennessee, and then his junior year got cut short, only threw three and a third before things, uh, you know, got shut down. So I think that's a huge positive to keep in mind here with Garrett Crochet that, you know, he's pretty fresh in terms of what he has to offer and and, uh, his mileage on his arm. Yeah, I think the lack of innings is – you know, it can be a positive and a negative. I think when, you know, when Garrett Crochet was drafted, I think a lot of people freaked out about the injuries. And I don't really think the injuries were that big of a deal. I actually think the head coach at Tennessee, you know, is one of the rare college coaches who was actually like looking out for his, you know, for one of his best players. And, you know, Crochet sat out, he had some soreness like in his shoulder, probably could have went if the games, you know, mattered more than they did early in the season. And then he made one start and everything was shut down. You know, I was kind of told, you know, no, no issue there with the health. Now, you know, the issue is if you think this guy is a reliever, taking a reliever at number 11. Now I'm, I'm pretty certain that the White Sox at least think he can start and they've said as much. I mean, if you're taking a guy at 11, you think he's a starting pitcher. He doesn't have a starting pitcher track record yet. Um, he was supposed to this year, but the one thing I will say is they, uh, they absolutely love this guy. You know, it wasn't like, you know, like Garrett Crochet was the kind of the guy that was like left for them. I, I had kind of heard that they, they really like him starting with the scouting staff and Mike Shirley, it's somebody who, you know, they think is just dripping with upside. Basically. I think the Chris sale comparisons a little bit unfair, obviously. I, I don't really like comparing first rounders to hall of famers, um, but I mean, yeah, he's 20 years old and I, I really like something that Sean said. I mean, it, this guy goes on to make 12 more starts for Tennessee. I mean, there's a chance he's like a, you know, top five, top six pick. If he has a really good year and the Sox can't get him there. So that's what the white Sox are banking on. I think, you know, they, they think that, you know, th- this guy is a little bit better than other people think he is. They think he has untapped potential, Um, and you know, if he's a number two starter, like left-handed pitcher in your rotation, I mean, that's, that's an awesome pick at number 11 in the first round. Yeah. I'm thinking about how crochet projects and I see a starter in him. Uh, of course, you know, there's that reliever floor potentially, and I guess it's not a bad thing to have a fireball left-handed pitcher with that arm slot coming out of the pen late in a ball game. But yeah, if you're drafting at 11, and especially, you know, considering his track record, he, a guy who was intended to be a starter across his full season here, Sean, uh, at, at Tennessee in his junior year, I think 
that is the expectation, and the White Sox have that. And here's something, too, that I thought was interesting. Tony Vitello spoke about his immaturity a little bit in his freshman year, in Crochet's freshman year, and then he, you know, he wasn't blowing anybody away. He was mid to upper 80s with his fastball, but slowly but surely, each year, following his freshman year, he realized, you know, hey, he's got he's got the potential. Crochet realized himself that, you know, he's got enough to be a top whatever talent in the first round, so let's take advantage of it. And he changed his philosophy a little bit, got his work ethic in check, and improved gradually. And we saw his velocity uptick. And really, I feel like the best is yet to come, Sean, in Crochet, because he hasn't really proven himself yet. I think just in terms of what we saw across his first two years, that doesn't tell the story of what Crochet can bring to the table. The, The numbers may be a little bit misleading, but now where he stands, I think the White Sox struck gold in this pick. I'd agree with you there. Um, obviously, you look at his arsenal that he has, and it's some say it, it might he might have the best stuff in the entire MLB draft. So um, you got to love getting someone like that. But I think there's definitely the, the White Sox are definitely going to really try to have him be a starting pitcher as long as he possibly can. Will it work? Will it work out? Time will tell. But um, obviously, like like James said, they took him at eleven to be a starting pitcher, um, and and there's a ton of potential in that arm, and and the arm hasn't been used up as much as regular college pitchers have. So I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do and and seeing him, you know, kind of get more of a full season of work and seeing the kind of numbers he can put up because even though. He doesn't have a lot of experience under his belt. He did put up some some pretty impressive numbers at Tennessee too, and especially um, this season. I think he he pitched like three innings and, and struck out six guys in his only appearance. But overall, it's it's pretty impressive stuff. So looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah, the delivery's awesome. The fastball gets up there, like we talked about. His changeup is already pretty darn good. And if if they're able to solidify that slider, like you mentioned, Sean, he's got plus spin rate on that pitch, his fastball, we already know is is his best offering. But, I mean, a three-pitch pitcher, left-handed, with that delivery, consistent arm slot, low three-quarters, that's deceptive, and it's very difficult for hitters to, at any level, to adjust to that sort of delivery. All right, let's talk a little bit about where we potentially would rank these two pitchers and Jared Kelly and Garrett Crochet across the White Sox system. I think we can we can all agree that he's a, they're both top 10 players. I'm just curious who ranks above who and where do they slot? Are they a top five? Are they just outside that? Are they above Stever and Dunning? I think it's a really good question to ask at this point. James, I know you're you're a big fan of Jared Kelly. Where do you have him slotted in the White uh, Future Sox top 30? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think Jared Kelly slots in firmly, like right at five. So just you know, just to let people know that might not be aware, um, you know, guys are guys are considered prospects until they have 130 at bats in the big leagues or, or 50 innings pitched. So, you know, Luis Robert, Michael Kopech, and then Andrew Vaughn and Nick Madrigal, those guys are still on top prospect lists for that reason, and they will still be there for a little bit. You know, none, none of these guys are crossing that threshold of that top four. So then, you know, you're you're talking Jared Kelly, Garrett Crochet, and the guys that are already in the system, probably Dane Dunning, Jonathan Stever. I have I would have Kelly five. Um, I think Kelly's a better prospect than Garrett Crochet is. 
Um, you know, I thought Kelly was the best high school pitcher in the class. I would have been completely fine taking Jared Kelly with the 11th overall pick in the draft. So I, I would probably slot him five and I would have no problem with crochet at six, but I would understand if somebody wanted to put Stever or Dunning in front of crochet, I, I would, I would, I would get that because I mean, just looking at top 100 lists, I don't think crochet is going to be on a top 100 list, at least right, you know, right away. And I think Dunning has been in the past and I think Stever was on his way to doing that. So those guys are all kind of similar. I think um, crochet obviously has age on his side being a 20 year old, you know, in the latest first round pick. Sean, what do you think in here? Do you have Kelly slotted above Garrett Crochet? I know it's really early and we need to do a little bit more of it. We need to see him throw a little bit, but just what we have at our disposal, do you have him around where James has? Yeah, I, I completely agree with James there and putting Kelly in at five. Um, another just reason that I would put him at that spot too is I think he probably – has a higher ceiling than Garrett Crochet. I know Garrett Crochet has a pretty high ceiling too um, when you look at everything he has to offer, but I think Kelly's got um, just a little bit higher ceiling than him. Um, and just kind of going off that, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Crochet too. I think I would, it's tough. I, I want to put him right behind Jared Kelly, but at the same time, I have a hard time putting Dane Dunning behind him. So I'm kind of in that similar range too. Um, just, kind of like right now, I think I would just keep Dane Dunning ahead of Crochet and have Crochet right behind him. And then obviously like there's chance for Crochet to rise um, when you consider everything he has and starts getting more experience. But that's kind of where I would put those guys right now. Really good stuff on both the pitchers across the first two rounds. I think we're very happy with where the White Sox stand in the 2020 draft. Let's move on to the rest of the class, three through four, because it's it's based on strategy at this point. You know, if you're signing a guy in Kelly Overslot, what he's able to command, there has to be a little bit of maneuvering within their pool in order to, you know, fill out their draft class, get players across five rounds, as well as fulfill their need to sign both Crochet and Kelly, of course, the two priorities. So as a result, the White Sox were able to draft Three more pitchers in Addison Coffey, Cade Meckles, and Bailey Horn. Uh, let's let's go through them a little bit. Addison Coffey, right-handed pitcher, throws in the mid-90s out of a junior college uh, in Illinois. Uh, but there's some rumors that he may be implemented as a two-way player. I'm not sure how seriously we can take that. We'll, we'll keep an eye on Addison Coffey and, as he projects. But uh, it seemed like, James, that Coffey is one of those guys that fits exactly what the White Sox needed to do in order to fill out the draft class, you know, moving forward. So we'll start with coffee. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a big time money saver. We, we won't know obviously until these amounts come out, but it won't be, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's even less than what some of the undrafted free agents get. It's a guy who Mike Shirley was very familiar with. I believe he's from uh, Muncie, uh, Indiana, which is, you know, close to where Mike Shirley's from. As well, last night on the conference call, you know, they did talk about the two-way ability. You said he called him a plus athlete, um, said that he shows 94 to 97 and and has shown a plus slider at times too. Um, he did start his career at Arizona State. Um, so, 
I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see. I don't, I don't know if that's a guy. He definitely wasn't on the Baseball America Top 500. It was pretty funny last night. Um, Jim Callis actually like knew who he was and you know gave the scouting report on TV, which was a little bit interesting there. So yeah, I mean that you know that's a typical money saver, and he's not a third round talent, obviously. But they did what they had to do, and they think he has some sort of upside. You know, enough to sign him and let him at least play on minor league teams. So, I mean, he's the type of guy that Sean would typically be seeing on the fields out in Arizona. So, you know, I don't know how that bodes for him this year, but, you know, um, Addison Caulfield always have a story to tell his kids and and grandkids that he was a third round pick in the MLB draft. Let's move on to Cade Meckles, Sean, and I want to throw it to you. Grand Canyon University, 5'11", 185-pound right-handed pitcher. He had Tommy John surgery in May, 22 years old, and you know not, not a bad track record prior to the injury. Low 90s with his fastball. What do you know about Meckles? Again, it just seems like somewhat of another kind of money-saving pick here. Um, but the thing with Meckles is, if you, if you take a look at him, he actually did put up decent numbers throughout his college career. He had just over a two ERA and he struck out 155 guys in 129 innings um, throughout his college career. And um, this season he, he's, so he's kind of swung between both the bullpen and being a starting pitcher. Um, 2020, he was going to be more of a starting pitcher. Um, Obviously we know how the season ends, but um, one thing I did want to make note of is he pitched against, Oklahoma State when they were the number 16 team in the country and he helped Grand Canyon beat them so kind of impressive he, he pitched five innings struck out eight um, like you said he had Tommy John surgery um, in May so we're not going to be seeing any of them this year um, but he I mean he could be someone we keep an eye on but all things considered um, it, it seems like the White Sox just tried to save a little bit of money here as well. Yeah, just considering, you know, Redshirt Jr. with Tommy John surgery, this is an opportunity to pick up a player at kind of the value that will help them, that will assist them in their pool. You know, you, you feel like the types of guys that fit in that slot, James, and you have to have a pretty calculated approach in order to just fill out a five-round draft class considering you're investing the majority, the vast majority of your pool across the first two picks. So it seems like Coffey and Meckles fit the mold of what the White Sox want to do. And we'll get to Bailey Horn in a second, but Meckles in particular is, you know, it kind of fits that mold. Like I was saying, I mean, it just, it it speaks to what the White Sox needed to do in order to fill out a draft class. Yeah. And he, you know, he has traits that they obviously like. Shirley did mention last night, he's 90 to 93 with elite carry on his fastball. And he said that he has a really good breaking ball. Um, he was excited about his ability to pitch north and south in the zone. So, I mean, that, to me, that seems like a guy that you convert to relief probably immediately. You hope that his stuff ticks up a little bit and he becomes a two-pitch reliever, you know, and he's he's at rookie ball and, you know, maybe he can be a reliever for you in low A and then you see what you have. You just add him, you know, to your mix of former college starters that turn into relievers in the minors. And, you know, that's probably – that's probably what he'll, you know, what he'll end up doing. And we'll, you know, check a couple years down the road and see if he's still in the system. And, you know, it, it's, it's, he's, he's not a nothing, obviously. It's just, you know, he's, he's just not a fourth round talent. And this is what they had to do 
you know, to pay to get two top 20 players in the class into their system. Yeah, Meckles, too. You talk about picking up a guy with Tommy John surgery. This is the time to do it if there was ever one, right? I mean, you give them an opportunity with, with these circumstances to just rehab and to get stronger and to get healthy. And then when he comes back, we'll see what they have. So, yeah, I, I think you, you explained that very well, James. I think that's exactly what the White Sox are, are planning on, you know, implementing with Kate Meckles. So let's move on to Bailey Horn. Bailey Horn as the fifth-round draft pick out of Auburn, 22 years old, 6'2", 212, uh, a lefty with a fastball that can get up, you know, mid-90s. And he's got a reliever profile. So I'll stick with you, James. What can you tell me about Bailey Horn? So I actually think they'll let Bailey Horn start. Um, I actually think he's, you know, he's kind of similar to a couple other guys that the White Sox have in their system currently. He was a Sunday starter at Auburn this spring. I, I kind of think Horn, Horn would have been a top ten round guy. Um, anyway, he wasn't on like top two hundred or top five hundred prospect lists, but he's another guy who, you know, maybe if he had a full season, maybe he does come up the board a little bit. So. You know, Mike Shirley talked about the SEC pedigree. He likes guys from those those big conferences. The breaking ball is really coming along, um, and a plus a plus competitor they called him. So he he's also working his way back post surgery. He had like a, you know a half Tommy John surgery or something they said last night, which I had never really heard of. But um, so he was hurt last year, was in Auburn's rotation this year, and looked and looked pretty good. So you know, I think he's probably like a hundred thousand dollar type guy, but you know, the white Sox have had some guys like this that are in their system that have, that have been, you know, okay. So he's, he's definitely the third best player that they took last night. That that's for sure. Sean with horn. What does he offer? Uh, James talked about believing that he can start and, you know, he, he pitched out of the bullpen across his collegiate career in Auburn you know, mixed in with a few starts there. What do you foresee Bailey's role within the White Sox? Yeah, I I think he has the ability to be sort of like a swingman. Obviously, he has experience both as a starter and in the bullpen. So you can kind of, if you want to have him like primarily start, he can go ahead and do that. And, you know, when minor leaguers are shuffling around different affiliates and stuff, and maybe he slides back into the bullpen because they got someone else that they need to get some more innings out of. So. I think he can sort of take on uh, the the swingman role, and he, he's got some some interesting traits, like you guys were talking about, and he's got a pretty wide arsenal too with fastball, slider, curveball, changeup. So definitely agree with you guys in the fact that he uh, he's probably the third most talented guy they grabbed, and seems like he's got some uh, interesting things he can bring to the org. James, is there anybody that? Horn reminds you of within the Sox system already? Yeah, so I was trying to think of it. I, I think he's kind of similar to former Oral Roberts um, starter Taylor Varnell, who's in the White Sox system. Now, Varnell's a little bit older, um, and he was like kind of a 20, uh, 22nd round, 24th rounder, and Varnell was a bit of an afterthought, I think. Just looked like a typical day three pick, but you know he's actually been pretty good in the White Sox system. So Varnell probably, if there's a major league future, it's in relief. Um, Horn is probably similar, um, but, you know, he's not that different from Connor Pilkington either. Now, Connor Pilkington was supposed to be 
you know, like a first round talent at one point, his stuff backed up a little bit. He wasn't great last year at Winston Salem. So, you know, that somewhere in between those two guys for Bailey Horn and that, you know, that's a guy who I think we're paying attention to at least even in a 40 round draft. He's, you know, he's that that's a decent pick, especially in, in that spot in a draft like this. Yeah, not a bad draft class, if you ask me, highlighted by Garrett Crochet and Jared Kelly. But overall, guys, all pitching and the philosophy now that we're starting to see are young prep arms, top prep arms within the White Sox system. Dawkins, Thompson, and Kelly now highlighting those profiles. And I think that is a sign for things to come. We'll see how the draft translates in 2021. But I think it, it's a welcome change to the White Sox drafting philosophy now and where they stand as an organization. You look at their big league club, there's plenty of young arms mixed in with a couple of veterans there. But boy, it seems like they're setting themselves up for a healthy balance of you know, competing now with, with the talent that they have at the big league level, but also they're replenishing their farm looking ahead. Yeah, I think I mean I think they're definitely doing that. One of the one of the things that I was talking about earlier and I tweeted it out was just projecting a minor league season next year. Like if if they're back in Kannapolis and they're at low A, you could have a low A White Sox rotation with Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson, and the recent uh, international signing Norhe Vera. I mean, that's the most talent they've had in a in a pitching rotation in quite a while. And it's not like you know, you're these advanced college guys that you're deciding to slow play and start in low A. Like those are, those are like top prep arms and amateurs, you know, that are giving the people something to watch like down in low A. That'll be, that'll be fun if there's ever baseball again. Yeah. I wonder, Sean, if there's going to be that quasi Arizona fall league season where they just bunch up talent together, like just a, a group of talent together down in Arizona, that would be awesome for us because, you know, you'd go out there and, and check out all these guys because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. The negotiations are still ongoing. I don't even want to touch on it right now. Sick of it. But when you when you bring that into play here, I wonder what kind of White Sox prospects will be out there. Yeah, it, it would be really interesting. Obviously, your, your standard Arizona Fall League has always been known to be a league that's littered with talent. Teams send top prospects over there every single year. Um, but, you know, with the way everything's going now and, and what what looks like there's probably not going to be a minor league season, even though it's, you know, every, nothing's official yet, um, teams are going to have to send a, a lot of prospects over there to make up for the lost time. Um, obviously, we know there's a chance where there could be, like, taxi squads and stuff like that so they can make up. Uh, some innings or at bats for some of the guys there. Obviously, everyone's not going to be qualified to play there, but for for the rest of the guys, they're they're going to have to figure out a way to make up for all this missed time for them and, and doing something like allowing teams to send more guys over to the Arizona Fall League, or or if they want to name it something different for a year because the whole uh, format of it will probably be a little different. They can do that too, but I think it's it's not only smart, but obviously it would be really, really interesting for White Sox and all the other teams because we'd be able to see, you know, a ton of their prospects and, and we might even be able to see a couple of the the recent draftees too. So who knows what they end up doing, but I, I think doing something like that is smart. And real quick before I end this podcast, 
I just saw an hour ago posted by the American Association of Independent Baseball that they're playing a 60-game season starting July 3rd. Now, they're only going to incorporate six of their teams, and they're going to play in three hub cities. So you have three teams hosting across the six-team league now, which is really encouraging, I think, in my opinion. When I saw this news, it kind of took me back a little bit because in independent baseball, I mean, they make their money across concessions and gate sales and revenue generated across the season. So for them to get on the field this year, what you know, base ML Major League Baseball better get their stuff together. I know Rob Manfred said there's 100% going to be a season, but you know, given the circumstances, they want expanded playoffs, and if Manfred has to incorporate the mandated season, there's going to be some complications there. But I just thought that was interesting. There's going to be professional baseball out there, and and that's the first announcement. So that's that's a little bit exciting. I don't know if you guys want to throw that in there, but I have a little love for indie ball. So this is this is big news for me. How how many former White Sox prospects on those teams? Probably quite a few, I think. Still, <laughs> yeah, Ke- I could, Keon uh, Barnum, Keenan Walker. Man, yeah, wow. I don't know. I don't, well, Keenan Walker, he was in the Frontier League a couple years ago, but Keon Barnum was the uh, most valuable player of the American Association last year with the Chicago Dogs. I think he broke And then he was and then he was just released by somebody in that minor league like exodus across the sport. I think Philly maybe he signed with somebody and has already been released, you know, because yeah. there's no minor league season obviously. But I mean, you know what you say is, you know, I know of your your love for indie ball. I mean, indie ball is going to be a lot better here soon. And it's obviously like not what this podcast is about and we don't have to go long on it, but I mean, with the the amount of guys who have been released and, you know, rookie ball affiliates being cut, indie ball is probably going to be better than ever to the point where big league scouts are going to have to go to independent ball teams more than they do, you know, and look for guys that, you know, they're going to have guys that have that are better than they've had lately, I would think. Yeah, there's three highlighted. Well, I like to highlight three independent leagues uh, across the the landscape when you have the Atlantic League the, the American Association and the Frontier League the Atlantic League and the American Association don't have age restrictions and Frontier League had just merged with the Can-Am League so previously the Frontier League had an age restriction it was 27 28 uh, incorporating one veteran you know on their roster without getting into too much detail but that's what set the Frontier League apart now after they merged with the Can-Am you know, in the Can-Am, there weren't any age restrictions either. So I wonder how the Frontier League is going to do that. But you're right, James. You look at the pool of talent that, that comes across, and specifically the Frontier League, a lot of these amateurs, you know, out of college end up going to the Frontier League, get scouted, and a lot of the arms in that league sign with affiliates and cast off minor league players. And I hate to put it that way, but it's true find their way to these independent scenes and have an opportunity to to get back to a big league organization. So that landscape is going to be so fascinating to follow moving forward. And uh, always, always love incorporating a little indie ball into the conversation, but great stuff, guys. We'll wrap up the podcast there. Chicago White Sox across five round draft on CBSSports.com. They got an A in, in their um, grade. So, you know, Hey, that's, that's good, right? grading draft classes that's always fun (laughs) yeah especially two-person draft classes yeah how about it all right guys really good stuff jared kelly garrett crochet highlighting the white Sox draft class we'll see 
what transpires. Stay tuned to futuresocks.com. We'll have much more draft coverage, especially considering the undrafted free agent period is upcoming. For Sean Williams, our Arizona correspondent at Future Sox, and James Fox, our senior writer. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. Check us out on Anchor.fm. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time.